Next week we're going to look at hell, and that'll take all the time that we'll have next week. And um, then after that, we'll just kind of have a week of Q&A, any questions you guys have, anything, you know, kind of a recourse, because it's been over a year since we started Systematic Theology, and we will, in a couple of weeks, have gone through every major uh, theological issue in the Bible, and all the notes and stuff are online, so if you want to go back and, and check it out or send it on to somebody. But thank you guys for enduring this journey. I was like, I don't know, everybody says that people don't want to, you know, go deep or, you know, have desire for theology. I was like, well, you know, even if that's true, which I don't think it is here, um, it's still my job to, you know, speak the truth, right? And so I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. Um, let's go to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at several texts um, in the Bible, but then that's kind of where we're going to camp out on. We're going to look at tonight uh, the final state, the final place, uh, if you will, uh, called heaven. Now, Jonathan, how many weeks was the heaven study? Was it six? Okay. Okay. All right. So we're we're condensing the the journey classes six to eight week every week study on heaven, and we're going to take one session tonight and try to hit um, the high points. And here's what um, I'd like you to do with me. There are often tons of questions about heaven. I think there's more questions often about heaven than about hell because people don't like to think about hell. If you don't think about it, then you don't have questions about it. But if you have a question um, through course of this, um, we'll try to get to that tonight. Just you know, let me know, and hopefully we'll be able to hit all the all the the points. So here's the first off: uh, What does the word heaven mean? In the Hebrew, it's shamayim. In the Greek, it's uranos. And in the Bible, it can refer to three different things. Number one, uh, cosmological. In Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the Bible, sometimes heavens is used to refer just to the cosmos, to the stratosphere and everything that, that the universe contains. Secondly, it's a virtual synonym for God. All right? Now, this is not saying um, or endorsing pantheism. Right? Pantheism is that God is all and all is God. It means the chair is God, the sea is God, you are God, I am God, Obama is God. Um, for some people that wouldn't be much of a change anyway. But, um, uh, is that okay to crack? Y'all would win seeing that crowd. I can be, you know, be good. Um, but we're, we're, it's not saying it's a virtual synonym in the sense that it is God, but, Luke chapter 15 and verse 18, 21, remember the um, prodigal son, he's coming home, and he, before his father says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. That's interesting, right? Because if we're not paying attention, we'll just gloss over the verse, or we can misunderstand it, and we're like, okay, so is this dualism? Is this saying that heaven is reigning, and then you've got God reigning as well? No, heaven is number three, Referred to as the abode of God. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, right? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So heaven would be like the realm of God's absolute and total will being done at all times and and at all uh, locations. So um, any questions about that? It's pretty pretty straightforward. Here we we go. This is a little bit more uh, in depth. What will we be like in heaven? Okay, number one, we will have our resurrection body. Luke twenty four forty three, John 21, 9 through 14, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus had his resurrected body, all right? Now, 
question, what is the resurrection body? We know that it's not just a spirit, right? And I think we could say amen to that. Because that would totally destroy the notion of heaven is full of us, is simply kind of floating around as, as a little uh, puff of celestial heavenly wind comes and we're sitting on clouds and we're playing harps. Yeah, and honestly, um, how many of you have ever been a little disturbed by that picture of heaven? Okay. Um, if that's what heaven is, then for most normal people, that's not going to be a fun place. And if you have to endure that for all eternity, you're like, I'm going to pick up my harp and go around and beat all the people who will not stop playing their harps. I mean, can you imagine? It's like, okay, that's nice, that's pretty, that's soothing, but after about 100,000 years, give it a break. My brother Justin, when he was a, just a kid, he came in to my, my mom and, and he started crying. She's like, Justin, what's wrong? And he said, I don't want to wear a robe. She's like, what? What in the world? She's like, you don't want to wear a robe? What are you talking about? He says, in heaven, you got to wear a robe forever. <laughs> His little wheels, right? Turning, right? Robes, heaven, heavens forever. I'm not into the robes because he would have, they, you know, he was a little, he was a little short guy and, and they would, mom would give him these long shirts and we would call it a dress. And like, you know, nice dress. And so maybe he thought that his brothers would be making fun of his dress. And we also made fun of the fact that he liked Barney. And, uh, my mom is still bitter at us to this day. You didn't let him have a childhood. I'm like, Barney, I mean, you know. I love you, you love me, we tied Barney to a tree, get a baseball bat and bash him in the head, oh my goodness, Barney's dead, so um, that's, we, we ruined him on that. But So the question is, we know that the resurrection body is not going to be just a spirit, okay? Our reference point is Jesus, that's it. Okay, what was Jesus able to do with his resurrection body? Yeah, amen to that, all right? He was able to eat. What else? Okay, good. So he, he was here. Wasn't a ghost. Wasn't a spirit. He was able to eat. He was able to, in space-time, do things. Cook. He was able to, I guess you could say, um, um, mobilize molecules. It wasn't just he was a spirit. You know, if you've seen some of those ghost movies and the ghost is trying to punch the person and nothing is happening because the ghost is in a physical reality in the insanity of that particular ghost movie. But, like you said, Sue, Jesus was in space-time with his resurrected body, but he wasn't bound as our bodies are bound. Now, all of us here Wednesday night, usually you get the thinkers come on Wednesday night, our wheels are already spinning. Here's the bottom line about the resurrection body. There's not as much that we know about it that we can come and say exactly this is what a resurrection body is. But we do know that it will not decay like ours. So that means that you will receive a body that will not decay. And once again, some people say, hold on, that, that, that sounds almost sci-fi. Like, By the way, if there's anything that we come to in God's Word that seems a little tough to believe, y'all tell me, what is the number one reason given in Scripture, the evidence of all evidence, of why we can believe that miracles are possible? Bingo. Bingo. The res- What's that? 
created everything out of nothing. I mean, we're talking about a God that creates things out of nothing. Right, and that's that's the origin. If you handle that, then what, what else is there? <laughs> yeah, we, we've got the origins, right? Like God creating, you know, ex nihilo from nothing. So, but then once we have this physical realm called the universe, dead men don't rise. But, and y'all, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm having to do 3,000 pages of reading for one class. Alright, so I am, I am, I am, if I seem loopy, it's like every spare minute I'm trying to get it. Yeah, yeah, we'll try to not do that, but sometimes it, it they feel like that. I'm just blown away at the amount that, that scholars who don't believe in Jesus, how much of the minimal facts they say are true. Like Jesus was a real historical figure. Jesus actually lived. The Romans killed him. He was accused by the Jews as saying that he was God. There was an empty tomb. Then the best explanation, you have to go into things like we've done this before. Would they have lied? Would the disciples have lied? Well, why would they have lied when that would only give them actual punishment and torture and death? And then, oh, would the uh, Romans have hidden the body? No, they wanted Jesus dead. Would the Jews have hid the body? No, the Jews, that was the whole point. They wanted to show this guy is not God. So everything begins to break down. That's why I believe, y'all, we have so much proof. And we should not... You know, if anybody tries to make you feel intellectually inferior for believing in the gospel, you should not. You have, I mean, philosophical, scientific, you have historical evidence to back up that moment when you maybe have been a kid or an adult and Jesus Christ spoke to you in that sermon and you realize that you were a sinner and you ask him for his forgiveness and to come and take control of your life. You have so much warrant in believing that that's true. So when we say that the resurrection body will be like ours, but not subject to decay, it may seem a little difficult to believe in our day and time. But if we have evidence to believe the resurrection, then anything is possible. And this is the coolest part for me. The one who rose from the dead, he's the one who's telling us this is the way it is. So if there's crazy good evidence for you being raised from the dead, and then you provide manuscript evidence that this is actually what you said, then I'm going to believe it. And so, any any questions about the resurrection body? Uh, yeah, on the road on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. Yes, they, they didn't recognize him. And then it says, and then their, then their eyes were opened. Uh, apparently there was some, we don't know if it was just their lack of faith, but um, almost like the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 when it says the scales fell from his eyes. Maybe there was some spiritual dimension that they were not, I mean, they, they, thought, they thought that he was dead. They thought that we've been duped, that was the Messiah, the Jews won, the Romans won, but... Um, you know, one, one thing that helps me believe the resurrection is that they all backed away from Jesus when he was going on the cross. When they saw him resurrected, they were fearless after that. They exactly. Exactly. And John, exactly what you said, that's why so many scholars, I mean, PhDs from, from big time universities have said, how do you explain the change in the disciples? Eleven men terrified, locking themselves, eleven guys in an upper room, locking themselves into just what you said, absolutely fearless. 
And even when the Jews said, we'll throw you in prison, we'll torture you, we'll kill you, they said, Acts chapter 4, sorry, we can only speak what we've seen. That got to speak the truth. So, awesome point. Um, next, uh, what will we be like in heaven? Will there be physical pleasures in heaven? Uh, Matthew twenty two thirty, Jesus, uh, in the discussion about angels, uh, or in marriage. Remember the crazy situation there? Woman marries a guy, he dies, she marries his brother, he's got like seven, there's seven brothers, and then she like marries all the brothers because they die. I don't, if I was like the fourth or fifth brother, I may want to be like, you know, you're a widow maker, I think I'm gonna, you know, go somewhere else. But, but they're trying to pin Jesus, right? And they were gonna ask him this crazy, stupid question, like in, in heaven, whose wife would she be? Number one, what does it matter? That's a dumb question, right? And then Jesus readdresses the question and he says, you don't understand the, basically the nature of heaven. He says, in heaven they are like the angels who are not given in marriage. So in heaven, I think that, and we'll get to this in just a few minutes, we'll still recognize each other, but there will not be like a continuing marriage uh, physical relationship um, in heaven. It doesn't mean that it's going to be awkward. You know, like let's say the husband and the wife are saved. When they die, they go to heaven. And then they're like, hey, it's really awesome, you know, being married on earth and you're a really good husband and wife. But I guess now we're like, are we just friends? You know, it wouldn't be something um, weird like that. And we'll, we'll get to the reason why in just a moment. But it's basically because heaven is the presence of, of God. Um, for Baptists, this is um, a very important thing uh, as well. Actually, let me... Before I get ahead of myself, Millard Erickson says this. He says, since sex in this life is to be restricted to marriage, 1 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, we have an argument that there will be no sex in heaven. That's, that's the inference of Jesus' um, point. But is heaven a place or a state of mind? Before we get to that, um, some Baptists really want to know where there will be, will there be eating in heaven? Okay, that's a, that's a, um, a big question. Uh, there is something called the marriage supper of the Lamb, all right, and that's you know referred to uh, in towards the end, Revelation and whatnot. Um, some people think that that's symbolic. Um, I don't believe that there's going to be death in heaven. Okay, um, like in the course, I think that through our resurrection bodies, the new heaven and the new earth. We will be able to eat because Jesus ate with his resurrection body. All right. Um, but I don't believe that our meals are going to be comprised of chicken, um, beef, pork. Uh, just, pizza. just pizza. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and, and that's just, and you guys, this is, this is just Jeff's interpretation, all right? I wanted to, as much as I can, give you the distinction, like this is exactly what the text says. But it's hard for me to imagine, um, what we're eating in heaven involves the killing of something and the bringing of death into heaven. Does that make sense? And what do y'all think? Throwing it out. Sad, but I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and some some theologians believe that God, when he does the new heavens and the new earth, it's going to be somewhat like Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, obviously Adam and Eve didn't lack anything, so it could be that God has foods there 
that will, um, and obviously it's not like somebody's going to have vitamin deficiency with their resurrected body or anything, but that if God uh, is able to do all things, we know that heaven is not about physical pleasure or being able to hang out with our friends, talk to the Apostle Paul, you know, go back in the Old Testament or talk to Samson or, you know, maybe go to Abraham and say, why did you throw your wife under the bus like that? No, she's my sister. But heaven ultimately will be about the presence of God. I think when we understand that, it will help us explain it to people who maybe either think it's about harps, about robes, or about everything that I could ever want. Kind of like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off at Six Flags or, or something. Um, is heaven a place or a state of mind? Um, it's a, once again, this is, this is what I think the scripture teaches, alright? It's a place. Acts chapter 7 verses 55 through 56, when Stephen is being martyred, he's being stoned to death, he looked up, and does anybody remember what he said? He saw. Okay, right. So here he is. He looks up, and he sees Jesus standing. Did Stephen see a state? And by a state, we mean like a state of mind, okay? Or like a state of bliss. Or if we want to go old school philosophy like Plato and his forms, that there's something out that's the good and there's something that's, you know, perfect model of a, a horse. Did he see a, did he see something real or did he just see a state? He saw something real unless Jesus was doing a really cruel practical joke giving him a mirage of himself. Like, Stephen, you're dying for my name's sake. Let me go ahead and give you a little little mirage of a state that's not really real, but it kind of looks like me to give you the thumbs up that I still think you're a cool guy right before you die. Okay? Um, another another verse here that, that helped me is John 14, 2 through 3. Um, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Interesting, that where I am, you may be also. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, dwelling places. So Jesus Jesus is talking about something that, that's real. Right? It's not just a state. And um, I think that's very, very important. So here's, here's another question. We can never cover this in one session, but just a few things about what heaven is like. Uh, number one, think the presence of God versus the celestial th- theme park. Revelation chapter 21, there in verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, And he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Jesus, presence of God in heaven, that is going to be, that's heaven. I heard Paul Washer said, and we've used this quote before, that everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want God to be there when they arrive. Okay? Look back at Revelation chapter 21, same chapter, um, verse number 4. Now imagine, think of any normal person and say, who would not want this? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Pretty good, right? No problems. But the reason why it's that way is because God is there. If the presence of God is not overwhelming, 
taking up every quote-unquote spare millimeter, every square inch of heaven, then it wouldn't really be heaven. And that's the only reason why heaven could be heaven. Also, there is, like we said, a, the direct relationship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 9 and 12, 1 John 3, 2, speaking about we shall see Him face to face. Also in Hebrews 3, 11, 18 and 4, 9 through 11, there is the concept of rest. Do you all ever get tired? I mean, not, not like take a nap tired, like absolutely dog dead tired. I'm just looking at the TV, watching two Czechoslovakians play tennis on a ESPN classic rerun. I don't, I am absolutely brain dead. I don't feel like going to the gym. In fact, I'm going to ask somebody else, can you go take my shower for me? Y'all ever feel like that? Right? Like, can you go brush my teeth? I mean, I just, you get so exhausted in heaven. It's going to be a place of rest. And by rest, it doesn't mean the absence of doing anything. It means a change of activity. Um, Revelation chapter, I think it's 14, verse 11. It says that the dead who die in the Lord, their works follow after them. After it says, speaks about, they will have rest. And that's why we should work today. Because Jesus says the night is coming in which no man should work. So sometimes when I get tired, um, you know, working for the Lord or talking to people, I think, you know what? This could be this person's only window, and I kind of do. That. I'm not saying that this is what you should do. Um, you know, John, I enjoy the boxing, the martial arts stuff. I just kind of replay a spiritual Mickey, uh, who was Rocky's trainer. When Rocky hit the mat, he says, "Get up, get up, you bum!" Right? And that's not saying that that's what the Lord says to me, but you know, just get up and work some more. Uh, don't be a workaholic, but work until um, you can't work anymore. It's also going to be a place of worship, Revelation 19, 1 through 4, service, Matthew 19, 28, uh, Luke 22, and uh, Revelation 22, 3. This is where Jesus says specifically in Matthew 19, 28 and Luke 22, uh, where he talks to the disciples about having to do with rulership with him in the kingdom, which means that we will have responsibility in the new heaven and the new earth. Exactly what that looks like. Theologians have written on it. I don't exactly know. But I do know that God is not a God of laziness. That God would have, even if we look back at Adam, what did Adam do before sin entered into the world? Yeah, he tended the garden. He worked the garden. So doing activity is not necessarily in disagreement with rest. You can do certain things that can actually revive you, right? And it's enjoyable to do, and that's the way it will be in heaven. Um, everything will be new. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. There will be a direct relationship with God. These are simply more verses to correspond with the previous point. And finally, it will be the removal of all evil. Revelation 21, uh, 4, and also in verse 8. Go with me to verse 8, Revelation 21. The Bible says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur or brimstone, which is the second death. This means that God will separate the sheep from the goats, and it will be payday someday, and it will be all said and done. That's the reason why we do evangelism. One of, right? We warn people of the wrath to come. Okay, now here's a question um, about um, will the new creation be timeless? 
Have you, and this is from Wayne Grudem. He says, although a popular hymn speaks of the time, quote, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, unquote. We do all know that not all the lyrics to Southern gospel songs are actually straight from the Bible, right? We're all on the same page there. Are some, some diehards in the Southern Baptist Church are like, no, Bill Gaither is the 13th apostle. <laughs> just, just leave that one. He's a good guy, but... Um, Wayne Grudem continues, he says, Scripture does not support, not give support to that idea. Certainly the heavenly city that receives its light um, from the glory of God will never experience darkness or light. Revelation 21-25 says, there shall be no night there. But this does not mean that heaven will be a place where time is unknown or where things cannot be done one after another. Uh Uh-huh. See, this begins to make sense. And he says, indeed, all the pictures of heavenly worship in the book of Revelation includes wor- include words that are spoken one after another in coherent sentences and actions such as falling down before God's throne and casting crowns before his throne that involve a sequence of events. A sequence of events should help us explain to people that heaven will not be terrifying because it is forever. You ever sat down and tried to think about the eternality of heaven. I have before, and you know what happens after I do it for a little while? It becomes very scary. Because me as a finite person, the only frame of reference I have is things that begin at a certain point and that end at a certain point. The thing about something that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be successive events. And successive events gives us the ability to actually live in heaven on the new earth and not just simply exist. Any any questions there? All right. Um, why will the evil things not be present in heaven? Number one, because the former things have passed away. It's a new day. This is Revelation 20, 21, 4. And because heaven is the final fulfillment of God's promises to his people there in verses 7 and 8. I love the way, or 6 and 7. I love the way verse 7 ends in Revelation 21. He says, and I will be his God and he will be my son. That is an awesome, awesome promise from God's word. So here's a couple of application questions. Number one, how should the reality of heaven affect our view of death? What do you think? Okay. Right. Think think about in the context of um, people you know that for all you know, they gave testimony that they had placed all their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They were born again. As far as you know, they're with the Lord today. How does the knowledge of heaven change how you view people that we have quote unquote lost? I think that one of the, the worst things about death that really characterizes it is its separation. Like, I cannot talk to Jordan. We haven't had a conversation until the week before he died. August of 2008. And those of you who have lost friends, loved ones, and close family members, whatever. You know how difficult that is because as 
humans, we were created in the image of God, and an aspect of that is the desire for relationships, both to give in a relationship and to receive. And when there's the separation, that's what's so difficult. In heaven, what has been separated will be brought together, never to be broken again. And not only that, but the things that brought about the separation to begin with, sin, living in a sinful fallen world, natural causes, the evil of other people, diseases, things that we just can't help, all of those things Go back to verse number 4 of Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear away from their eye. Death shall be no more. No mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have what? Passed away. So not only is God going to reunite us with the ones who love Him, our true family, but those things that damaged it in the first place will have no chance of ever getting in the way again. I don't know about you, but that is incredibly encouraging. I don't know if you've ever, uh, maybe, you know, thinking about people that, that we've lost. Maybe, you know, with Jordan, there was a certain time where he kind of had a, a recovery for his cancer. But there's always, there's always the thought in the back of our minds, what if it comes back with a vengeance? And even in the relationships that we have now, to where as far as we know, our friends and family are healthy, we don't think about it a lot. But there is coming that day to where either they will die or we will die. Or it'll be together. Car crash or something. But the beauty of heaven is that the chance in the back of our mind thinking, boy, this is really good. But I don't want to be a pessimist, but I just think that 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, not even the what ifs. Not the what if if this happens or this happens, but the certainty that we're going to be separated, that will never be a factor again. And not only that, but as it says in Revelation 21, that we will be with God. So the one who sustained us from the point of separation through death here, he's going to be the one to take us to be with him. And when he, we are with him, He's going to be there with the one that we lost. So the one that allowed us to endure the suffering and the pain so that maybe some other person may see that and see our example and they get saved there in heaven. It's going to be absolutely awesome. And the second application question, how should heaven influence how we use our money? What do you think? Right. Yeah. Because we know that, that we have, we live in a world to where we need finances to survive. There's everything God honoring about paying our bills. Rest in this life can be very biblical. A, a, a vacation that produces godly rest can be what God desires. But... What are some things that maybe you have, have learned or ways that you think or maybe that you've put in practice in your life to say, here is the distinction upon how I know that I'm spending my money for things that I don't need to spend it on, where that distinction is, and then simply 
having to live as a person, needing to pay bills and a human body and so forth and so on. Like, what, what, what is the dividing point between selfish expenditures and survival? And I don't mean just mac and cheese, Raymond Noodles, noodles survival. I mean just simply um, being able to exist in American society. I'll tell you kind of mine, and it's really annoying. Um, pray about it. Pray about it. And then pray about it some more. Because often when I pray, do you know what God, it's not so much like Jeff, don't, don't, you know, get the Coke with your meal at Wendy's, you know, save that $75.50. But it's more along the lines of, and this is, this is just my life, okay? It's just experience. It's more along the lines of, here's what I want you to give to. A lot of times we, we think in terms of if God invades our finances and takes over what we do with our finances, it's going to be don't buy this, don't buy this, don't spend this here, don't spend this here. At least in my life, I think the Holy Spirit has been much more, at least the, the way that he has led me to be more proactive, and here's what you give to. And I love what Johnny Hunt says, and I say it all the time on Sunday morning, and just like a other monthly rotation, that we're never more like Jesus than when we're giving, but... I think his best statement ever is, how do you know if you have the idea on a big amount of money to give to the work of Christ? How do you know that that's from God? He says, well, if it's a big amount of money, I know it's from God because I'm too greedy to think of that on my own. <laughs> I was like, and, and, that, and that's me. But how do you know specifically where to do something like that? Mm-hmm. Right, like where to where to give it to? Yeah. yeah. What you're doing, you're involved in ministry. You know, I think the, the first thing is to be involved in ministry because that's where that's where we get a heart. Sometimes it's easy to say, "God, would you give me a heart for the nations?" But you know, we'll never get involved to do anything. Get get involved, serving the Lord as much as you can with every bit of you know strength you have, and then in the course of that, I think eventually He'll direct you to that. That kind of sounds like a cop out, but I think that. You know, uh, Colossians 3.17, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I think that throughout the process of that, I'm like, I, I would not give a huge, large sum. Uh, like if I had three three choices here, I would really want to wait till I had a clear go word from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that any time we give to the Great Commission, whether that's for the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering, whether we give to to the line item that we have here in our Great Commission uh, fund, there's no bad gift that goes to what Jesus said we should do. There's no bad gift. And I don't think that it would be, you know, like let's say in our context, if some, if God leads somebody to give a large amount to give it either to, you know, our line item of the budget, give it to Lottie Moon, another organization that's going like New Tribes Mission that takes into the tough areas to reach. 
I don't. I mean, I think all those are good options. That's why I just let the Holy Spirit direct the person. Good, good question. Any other questions about about heaven or observations that you guys have? Um, I got one. Well, there's so many practical jokes in there. I think your dad is. A... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I I'll just say this real quick. But one of the coolest things I remember studying in the heaven book was, um, you know, just when you're talking about eating, like all the food we have ever had up to this point is food that has been after the curse. And you know, I enjoy food, but when you think about what just food is going to be like in heaven that's not ever been cursed, it's absolutely perfect, you know, and then what it will be like, you know, obviously to see Savior for the first time, that blows my mind. Mm-hmm. But those, just, that's a great book, though, when really we get into it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talk about it. Mm-hmm. Is it Randy Alcorn? Randy Alcorn. I think that's a good point about, you know, not knowing where it is. And just for me, I don't, I'm so busy. I don't, I, when I give almost all the time, I gave to Reasonable Faith last year, William Lane Craig, the apologetics ministry, because so many people are being saved through that. But I, I give to international missions, the unreached people groups. You know, um, I think there's a lot of good things that we can give to. But just for me, and I'm not saying that you have to do this or, you know, if you give to another group, you need to stop. But when I when I give above and beyond tithes and offerings, I want that to go to reaching the people who've never heard the gospel, and that's why you know some people I don't go out and you know tell people what I give to, but they may have strong. We well, don't give to this and this. I'm like, they have the gospel. I want to make sure that the people as a hundred percent of what we give to Lottie Moon, hundred percent goes to unreached people groups, International Mission Board. Right. It's mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very well organized. But Bill Gothard made a statement one time, and I've never been able to get away with it. He said some of the best things in life, or some of the good things in life, are enemies of the best things in life. Once again, this is not a rule. This is just Jeff at this point. When I give, it's going to be straight up, you know, gospel stuff. Breaking down the worldview of people who don't have, like William Lane Craig and his ministry, but then it would be just unreached people groups. So. It's like go to schools pretty neat. They had um, four college dressed suits giving out the, uh, the exits of the school, exit, and they're giving out the Bibles, I guess, small Bibles, and 
had boxes of them. They were just sitting in yeah, yeah, and yeah, the Gideons is a great thing. I don't know if any of you guys are, are members of that, but it's for just you know, man like pastors. They're not, they can't be a part of it. But that'd be a great group to definitely get get plugged up with. But all right, well, let me uh, let me pray for us. Thank you guys for being here, and I appreciate your prayers this this weekend.